0: In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul wrote a beautiful prayer for the believers in the church. This morning, I want to invite you to receive the words of Paul's prayer as you listen to them. When I think of all of this, of everything that Christ has done, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he would empower you with inner strength by his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. How glory to God in the church and in Christ throughout all generations. His power in us, through that, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. Glory to him through all generations. Amen.
1: Thank you, Amber. Good morning, Trinity. Good morning. Well, for those who are new, my name is David. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. Amber, thank you for that recitation, memorizing Scripture is alive and well. And it is such a powerful tool, not just for us to be able to encourage others, but for us to be encouraged as well. I'm going to jump right in because to some extent I feel like I'm on borrowed time. Someway, somehow this this week I came down with pneumonia. Two things on that. First, I wrote this sermon while I was on four different medications. (laughs) So if it starts to go sideways and sound like the book of Revelation, you'll know why. But second... I was mad this week. I was frustrated this week at the truth of the diagnosis that I had come down with pneumonia. It leaves Ashley on an island with the family, with the kids, with the house, puts stress on her. We lead a home group, had to cancel that. I had to miss a discipleship meeting, I had to miss an alpha meeting. It was a sermon prep week. Ashley had an all-day event yesterday, like I have a lot on my plate, and pneumonia was about the last thing that I needed. So I'm sitting in bed Tuesday night, trying to get my head around this sermon, but totally surrounded by my own frustration. And by definition of it being Tuesday, you know it's I hate my sermon Tuesday. (laughs) But I'm sitting there, and this thought popped into my head. It was more like, probably more like a command from the Lord. Pray what you preach. And I'm like, yeah, 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 practice what you preach. Right. No. Pray what you preach. See, part of the Lord preparing me to preach this message to you today was to first pray it over me. Not to roar up into heaven about how much work I had to do not to try to pray away the illness of my physical body, although there's nothing wrong with that, but first and foremost, to pray for strength for my soul. Based on the riches of God's glory, He would grant that I would be strengthened with power in my soul, and ultimately, I would be filled with all the fullness of God. And as I did that on Tuesday night, something else struck me which began the framework for this message, that this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, is for every Christian, everywhere, at all times, and in all seasons. Whether you are rich or poor, healthy or ill, single or married, walking on cloud nine or brokenhearted, whether you're conquering giants or facing trials, Young, old, black, white, guy, girl. Look, as you sit here today, in whatever shape you came in here, yes or no, do you want to be strengthened with power in your soul? Do you want the king of the universe to dwell in your heart? Do you want to be rooted and grounded in love and to know the love of Christ Jesus? Do you want to be filled with all the fullness of God? then this passage is for you. Let's go. All right, so as we go through this today, I want to ring out four powerful points. But Pastor David, you always only have three points for us. But I haven't been up here in a while, so this is like three points with a crude interest. Fourth, you get four points today. I want us to see the priority of prayer. I want us to see the permanency of Christ. I want us to understand the primary virtue, and I want us to see the personal experience. So let's go, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Two times I'm going to interrupt just to give some context. So. Paul, a Jew before he was a Christian, the posture of prayer for a Jew was standing, and so he's calling this out, I kneel before the Father. He's highlighting the importance of what he's about to say to them, but know with certainty that our God is not so concerned with the posture of our physical bodies, but rather the posture of our hearts during prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family is the translation you might have, Pasa patria in the Greek, every all the whole is how you could translate that. In the context of what Paul is praying here, the whole family is a better translation. He talks about how the Gentiles were included into the household of God, right? One household, many people. That was what Pastor Kirk preached on last week. In chapter four, he's going to get into the unity we have as believers. And so. Not so much every family, although that's not wrong, it's probably just less right, the whole family. So, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, Amen. Wow, to read that prayer, to receive that prayer—it's like to ascend to the summit of heaven. Late 1900s theologian Hanley Mule said this of this passage: He said, "Who has not read and reread the closing verses of the third chapter of Ephesians with the feeling?" of one permitted to look through the parted curtains of the holiest place of the Christian life. Now, I realized this as I was wallowing in my misery on Tuesday night. Men are such babies when we're sick. Like, there I said it. Like That's not what hit me on Tuesday night. I always knew that. (laughs) What hit me on Tuesday night was our first point today, the priority prayer, And I'm not talking about prayer's priority in our life, which it should be. I'm talking about the priority of our prayer. What within our prayers is our priority? Now think about the context in which Paul writes this. For this reason, he begins in verse 14. Now theologically, Paul is linking back to the first part of chapter 3 which again, Pastor Kirk preached on last week, the reconciling work of Jesus to the Gentiles and the revelation of all of that to Paul. But practically, Paul just finished saying in verse 13, he says, I ask that you do not lose heart over what I am suffering. Now, I won't spend too much time on what's already been covered, but Paul is writing to a church body that he Established, that he loved, that he spent years with, that is now watching him be persecuted and imprisoned. And what he actually says in the original Greek is that he does not want them to faint or grow spiritually exhausted. He knows the external circumstance his Ephesian brothers and sisters are facing. And in light of that, he prays for internal spiritual strength. Did you catch that? He doesn't try to pray away their troubles, he doesn't try to pray that he would be let out of jail, he doesn't deal with one single external circumstance. He knows the priority of prayer, that above all else, it is the inner soul that must be strengthened with power. And when that happens, the power of our external circumstances is weakened. If you're in a season of pure bliss externally, everything's coming up roses, how much power do you want that to have over you? None. Because if it has power over you and changes, you'll be crushed. And if you're in the valley, how much power do you want that darkness to have over you? None. Because unless it changes, your oppression will continue. Now, I do not for one second want to sound ungrateful for times of plenty or for one second diminish the trials that people go through. But when our inner soul is strengthened with power, times of plenty lose their ability to shape us and the trials lose their ability to shake us. And again, we cannot lose sight of the fact that Paul is writing these words from a Roman prison, most likely chained to a Roman guard. At this point in his ministry, He was rejected, countless beatings, often near death. Five times whipped, 40 lashes less, one stoned, three times shipwrecked, adrift at sea, danger from rivers, danger from the Jews, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger from false believers, sleepless nights, without food, without drink. There is only one way you have those kinds of external circumstances going on in your life, yet pray for internal spiritual strength for someone else. And that is to be strengthened with power, by your spirit, by the spirit in your inner soul. Paul knows that the more the Ephesians, the more that you and I are strengthened with power on the inside, the more we can weather any storm on the outside, from the temptation of the mountaintop to the trials in the valley. But there is another reason that we need our souls strengthened with power, And that's our second point today, the permanency of Christ. Look at verse 17. Paul says that he prays for us to be strengthened with power in our inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell, everybody say dwell, in your hearts through faith. Now here, Paul ascends to another level of the divine. And he speaks directly into a battle that I've been facing, and I know several others have as well. Recently, I've had this season spiritually that I'll just identify as like dry land. Not sensing the Lord's presence, not hearing his voice, reading his word feels more like a task than worship. And in these seasons, never fail, I always end up asking the questions God, do you hear me? Are you listening? Why can't I hear you? Are you speaking? Like, where are you? Well, Paul had his choice of two Greek verbs for dwell. One is peroiko, which means to inhabit a place as a stranger or an alien living away from home. The other is katecheo, which means to permanently reside as a master within his own home. And guess which word Paul uses to describe the manner in which Jesus dwells in the hearts of all believers. Katakao. Remember from chapter 2, you were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when we are strengthened with power by the Spirit, We are not just saved by Christ alone. We are ruled by Christ alone. That is who we are, and it is whose we are. When you put your faith in Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He does not come into your life to perform an extreme makeover. He comes into your life to perform a complete takeover. What was yours is now his. And in the West, we struggle with this. I struggle with this because we get pacified by the illusion of self-control. We see giving up control as a loss. And so we treat Jesus as a house guest, inviting him into the areas that we've cleaned and tidied up, but we dare not open up that closet with all the junk in it. But let me tell you what you already know. You and I do not have control over anything. And by definition, you cannot lose what you do not have. When we treat Jesus as a house guest, it is not control that we keep. It is freedom and deliverance that we lose without having our souls strengthened with power, we will reject this absolute rule and reign in our lives, and we will settle, yes, settle for roommate Jesus. But when we are strengthened with power in our soul, we can resist that temptation of the flesh and hand the keys over to Jesus, and he resides, not as an alien living in a strange place, but as a master living in his own home and a home in which he owns, which means cancer cannot evict him. ALS cannot evict him. A car accident cannot evict him. Addiction, abuse, rejection, depression, illness, anxiety, fear, your past cannot evict him. He opens up the closet where you keep all of your hidden sins and he pulls up that rug under which you sweep all of your temptations and he throws them out the window. Yes, he is yours, but even better, you are his forever. That is the permanency of Christ. All right, so we've got the priority of prayer, we've got the permanency of Christ, which brings us to the third point that I want to draw out. The primary virtue. Verse 17b and 18. Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And once the Holy Spirit strengthens our soul with power and Jesus has given his rightful rule and reign over our lives, we are rooted and established in love. Not rooted and established in our agenda or social justice or our opinion or politics, but rooted and established in the love of Christ who never once affirmed sin, but once and for all died for it, but also who did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Think about this. Rezo, roots. Roots are unseen, but whatever they sink into, whatever they are nourished by, will feed and determine the health of that which is seen. If we are rooted in anything other than the love of Christ, that will feed how we think, how we feel, and how we act. Themelio a foundation on which everything else is built, rooted and established. Again, unseen, below the ground, but gives support and stability to everything above it. And so everything we do is nourished and fueled by the love of Christ. And all that we are is built upon that very love. This is why Paul writes in the famously misused and misunderstood passage from First Corinthians 13, that it doesn't matter if you have faith to move mountains or can see into the future with pinpoint accuracy or give away everything you have or deliver your body up to be burned. If you do not have love, you gain nothing. But when we talk about being one with Christ... And as Paul will launch into in Ephesians chapter 4, one with each other, unity. This primary virtue of love is the unifying factor. What is it that unifies God himself, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for time eternal? Love. What unifies us with God? the sacrificial love of Jesus. When we are rooted and established in this love, it becomes like a spring within us that never runs dry regardless of external circumstances, and it begins to govern the way in which we interact with one another, the way we interact with ourselves and the hurting world around us. And only when the Spirit strengthens our soul with power and Jesus permanently resides in us, are we rooted and grounded in that sacrificial love? Can we then grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ? And I love this term, term grasp. Some render it comprehend, but grasp is better. It's a wrestling term. <laughs> Not that wrestling. This wrestling. To clinch to grab onto and not let go, to seize. Now, let's go through these one by one, and I want to put together some implications and applications. To seize, to grab onto, to not let go of how wide is the love of Christ. What becomes of racism? of segregation, of social classes, of social divisions, when we grab a hold of the fact that although Jesus' arms were only stretched six feet apart on the cross, his love stretches across humanity. Every tribe, every ethnicity, every tongue. When you grasp that, how could we possibly look down on somebody else? When it seizes you, How could you possibly look down on yourself? How long? Psalm 139 says it the best. He knows when you sit. He knows when you stand. He's at the top of the mountain. He's in the bottom of the sea. He knows our thoughts. He's everywhere all the time. You cannot outrun the love of God in Christ Jesus. Some of us have given it it our best. I promise you, you cannot outrun the love of God in Christ Jesus, nor does the love of God in Christ Jesus ever end. What is longer than infinity? The love of God in Christ Jesus, it began before time. It manifested itself in time in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it will continue for all of eternity. When you grasp that, does it not encourage you to keep praying for family and friends to turn And for leaders to bend the knee, when it seizes you, does it not motivate you to run to him and not from him? And how high? There are so many things Paul could be alluding to here, but let me give you perhaps one. Forgiveness of sins is like one cut on the precious diamond that is the gospel. Another cut is the height of glory to which Jesus' love takes us. We are not just saved from punishment, but as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places because we are united with Christ. And the only way possible for you and I to be lifted up into heavenly glory was for Jesus to be lifted 12 feet off the ground on that Roman cross. When you grasp this, does it not inspire you to the purity and purpose into which you have been called? And when it seizes you, do you begin to see yourself through Jesus' triumph instead of your failures? And finally and quickly, how deep is the love of, of Christ? Isaiah 53. Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely who took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. How deep did Christ go for you? All the way to the bottom. Ephesus was home to one of the seven wonders of the world, the amazing temple to the goddess Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. And no doubt the Ephesians would marvel at the height and depth, and length, and width of that massive temple, but it all pales in comparison to the height, and depth, and length, and width of the love of the living God who hunted you down throughout history. And so we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit with power in our soul. Jesus takes his permanent place as Lord in our lives, and we are rooted and grounded in and by the love of Christ, which is vast and limitless. Now, if we step back for a second, if we zoom out and we look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there's a deliberate structure to it. He spends the first three chapters reinforcing who we are and whose we are. Identity language, he uses it over and over again. Chosen, adopted, predestined, lavished, loved, set apart. God's grand plan and purpose united by Christ and in Christ, once dead but made alive, strength and power for your soul, Jesus dwelling within, grasping the love and not letting go. And then he moves to how those truths of who we are manifest themselves in how we live. And we talk about that all the time, who we are leading to what we do, not the other way around. But before he gets there, he hits on one more aspect of the Christian existence which is our last point today the personal experience verse 19 and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God I pray that you know that which you cannot know how you guys feeling about that Awesome. Everything is awesome. What is he praying here? What is he saying? What is Paul asking for? Well, as best as I can parse this out, Paul is praying for the completeness, the fullness of the love of Christ, not just to be known, but to be realized. And the best way I can think to illustrate this is with a story from the French Revolution. I heard this story years ago, and I've never forgotten about it. It is so applicable to what we're talking about. During Napoleon's invasion of Russia, he was separated from his troops as they battled in this small town. And a group of Russians spotted him, and they began chasing him through the streets of this small town. As Napoleon ran for his life, he ducked down this alley and into a furrier's shop. As Napoleon entered the shop, he's gasping for his breath. He says to the shop owner, save me, save me, where can I hide? The furrier said, quickly, over there in the corner under those pile of furs. Napoleon ducks in and the furrier just starts chucking furs on top of him. And no sooner had he finished covering him up when the Russians burst in the door shouting, Where is he? We know he came in here. And despite the furrier's protests, they tore his shop apart trying to find Napoleon. And every single pile of furs they saw, they took their bayonets and they shoved their swords into. After some time, so they didn't find him, so they leave, After some time, Napoleon creeps out from under the furs unharmed, just as his personal guards come in. The furrier turns to Napoleon and says, pardon me for asking such a a great man this simple question, but what was it like being under that pile of furs knowing that the next moment would probably be your last? Napoleon drew himself up with confidence and power and said to the furrier indignantly, how could you ask such a question of me, the great Emperor Napoleon? Guards, seize this man, take him out, blindfold him, and execute him. I myself will give the command to fire. And so the guards grabbed the shop owner, dragged him outside, stand him up against the wall, blindfold him. The shop owner could see nothing. All he could hear were the movements of the guards, 20 paces off, as they shuffled into place and loaded their rifles. Legs trembling. This is it. I'll never see my wife again. I'll never see my kids again. I'll never see my countrymen again. Tears began pouring down his face straight through the blindfold. He hears Napoleon clear his throat and say, ready? Aim. And then after a long pause, he hears one set of footsteps approach him. The blindfold comes down and Napoleon whispers in his ear, Now you know what it was like. Napoleon very well could have explained how it felt in those moments, but the only way for the shop owner to know, to really know, was he had to experience it for himself. We can stand up here and preach week after week. We can worship week after week. You can go to Bible studies. You can go to seminary. You can grow up in a Christian household, and all of that is well and good. But the culmination of the Christian life, the greatest blessing of the gospel, is not that we know about Jesus, but that we each experience him. Do not settle for only having your head filled with the knowledge about Jesus, when you could also have your heart filled with the love Of Jesus. Knowing it informs, but experiencing it transforms. Look, let's say I had the means and right now transferred $50 million in every one of your bank accounts. The only reason you're getting warm and fuzzy about that is because you think about not just having it, but using it, accessing it. That's when it changes your life. This is what Paul is getting at through this. Every Christian is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has Jesus dwelling within them. Every Christian is filled with the fullness of God. But is the Holy Trinity just in your spiritual bank account, or are you accessing that power every day? And is that love changing your life? I'll close with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote in Mere Christianity, he says, If we allow, if we allow, Jesus will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all throughout with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine a bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. Jesus meant what he said. Behold the power of the Holy Spirit the love of Christ, and the fullness of God. It is for you. Is it in you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this prayer, Father, but we must pray it into our hearts until it lights us on fire. We cannot settle for just knowing about the power of the Holy Spirit or the love of Christ, or knowing about the fullness of God. Father, you want us to experience it. You want it to guide our life. Give us direction and wisdom. Encourage us. Give us power. So Father, I pray that each of us would take this prayer this week and we would pray it from our heads into our hearts. Father, teach us what is in here that we need to know. Show us what we do not see. Tell us what we do not hear. And Father, make us who we need to be for your glory and for the good of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.